And so we learn consciously or subconsciously to, to switch it off and to scroll along uh, or to just switch off to it. For the few who don't switch off, for the few who engage in fighting injustice, wherever it is, in that, as they see it in the world, social justice fatigue and burnout is a reality. It's a real thing. Uh, more and more, as people engage in fighting injustice, burnout from that fight is a real thing. Such to the point where it's actually undermining the burnout itself can, in, in certain circumstances, undermine and uh, cause problems to the progress of social, fighting social justice uh, causes in the first place. Global awareness is ever-growing. Global concern, we hope, hope is ever-growing. But it's not a new thing. Throughout the pages of the Bible, we see injustices again and again. And it could be argued that the Bible is a record of human injustice and God's action against it. Just to figure out a few, you could look at many. Uh, in the book of Isaiah, in the Old Testament, some 800 years before Jesus, God's messenger to his people says this, Woe to those who decree iniquitous decrees. This is the leaders he's speaking against. And the writers who keep writing oppression. They're the powerful ones, the ones who write. To turn aside the needy from justice and to rob the poor of my people of their right that widows may be their spoil and that they may make the fatherless their prey. What will you do on the day of punishment in the ruin that will come from afar? To whom will you flee for help and where will you leave your wealth? Or a little bit later on in the book of Malachi, this messenger from God says, Then I will draw near to you for judgment. I will be swift a swift witness against the sorcerers, against the adulterers, against those who swear falsely, against those who oppress the hired worker and his wages, the widow and the fatherless, against those who thrust aside the sojourner and do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. Again and again injustice, and again and again, but not by many parts of the Bible, God hates injustice. God declares he's going to act against injustice. We switch off. We get fatigued. God never switches off. He never fatigues. We scroll past something lighter. He sees every abuse. He sees every discrimination, every violation. Nothing escapes his view. And he hates each one. In the New Testament, the writer of the Hebrews says this, And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Stepping aside from particular instances of injustice or understanding injustice, some are quite positive about the possibility of progress uh, and 
if we get some of the fundamental rights. Well-known philanthropist and billionaire, listed up 111 billion billionaire, Bill Gates, wrote this in 2013. I've been struck by how important measurement is to improving the human condition. You can achieve, achieve incredible progress if you set a clear goal and find a measure that will drive progress toward that goal. This may seem basic, but it is amazing how often it is not done and how hard it is to get it right. He's talking about dealing with injustice and fundamental to dealing with it, such that we actually deal with it without fatigue or without misuse of resources is accurately diagnose the real issues and accurately measure progress. And we're going to turn now to God's measurement, God's diagnosis given through Jesus here about the human condition and how to fix it. And that point two on that one is the problem of pollution and diagnosing the problem. At the top of that passage there, Jesus, he called the people to himself and said to them, Hear me, all of you, and understand. There is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him. But the things that come out of a person are not defiled him. When he entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. The parable in the short is a story with a deeper meaning, often uh, uh, story that leaves people puzzling. The first part of um, this is pretty straightforward and the sort of second part seems to be the puzzle. There's nothing that goes into a person that makes them defiled, unclean or polluted. The second part is probably the puzzle. But the things that come out of a person are what pollute them and defile them. What is Jesus talking about here? What comes out of a person that makes them defiled or unclean? What comes out of a person? Pretty good many things. Is it poo? Is it poo that comes out of a person and makes them unclean? Well, I don't know. But it can come out of you make you unclean. Uh, if you're talking to a primary school teacher yesterday uh, and she's had a problem with Primary school had boys in the toilets uh, who were with poo. Is that what he's talking about here? <laughs> well, Jesus' closest followers pluck up the coach and ask him privately. Verse 17, that second paragraph. And when he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. And he said to them, Then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him, since it enters not into his heart, but his stomach, and is expelled? Thus he declared, all foods clean. And he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. From within, out of the heart of man, comes evil thoughts and all the rest. We'll come back to that in a moment. Here's the heart of the problem. 
says Jesus, with people. The heart of the problem is the human heart and its problem of pollution. Or more accurately here, its problem of polluting and causing pollution. The heart of man is the manufacturing centre of all injustice. Within each of us, we have a production line of evil that pollutes the world, pollutes ourselves. What does that look like? What are the symptoms of this? Symptoms you pick it up there. This is point B, 2B. What do the symptoms look like? You can see there in verse 21. Jesus goes on. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, that's uh, letting yourself be driven by your, your sense desires, they're the fundamental thing driving envy, slander, how you speak against others and bring others down, pride, foolishness. All these things come from within and they defile a person. Now Jesus is not saying that this is people who, when they're at their worst. This is not people on a bad day. They might be like this. This is anyone on a normal day. This is everyone on a normal day. But we don't manufacture all of these to our utmost every day. It's just what we produce naturally. The production line of our heart is any of these things. We're not the worst we could all ever be on every day. Not everybody displays them to their maximum. You learn to hide many of them. But it's just what's there. It's just what comes out of our heart. And that's your heart, says Jesus. That's my heart too. That's what we produce. That's what we're good at producing. You find that offensive? I do. That my heart is the problem? I may be mildly um, eased by knowing that your heart is the problem too. But if Jesus is right, then the problem of injustice is more than fighting injustices and is much more difficult than we first began thinking and understanding. Because if Jesus is right, we have a measurement problem. If our hearts are faulty and defiled and corrupt, we can't measure the problem accurately. It's like measuring ourselves with a bent ruler. It's like measuring ourselves with a ruler where all the, all the graduations on the ruler say close enough uh, or good enough. Whatever we measure, we measure ourselves by, we'll just excuse ourselves. I didn't really mean that. That's not my fault. But somehow when we measure 
Other people, we have a different rule of it's much shorter. And people never seem to measure up. Uh, it's never good enough. We have a measurement problem. We can't even measure the problem accurately because of our parts, let alone do anything about it. My heart is naturally proud and deceitful. And Jesus is not saying that we do as much evil as we possibly could, but the character of our output of our hearts, it's all there. The way we measure the output of ourselves is crooked. We can't even accurately measure what we are like in our deceit. We can even recognise this is true even in a crooked kind of way. Uh, it was on campus, I remember it was three years ago at Easter when we were talking with some people outside the library and I met a guy and we were talking about the problems of the world and he agreed without any question that human beings were the problem in the world as, as some of others had said and without skipping a beat he went straight on to say if I had the power I would eliminate all humans was his answer. Wow, that understanding is sort of right-ish in a kind of way. And yet it displays the very thing that is the problem which Jesus is talking about. That I will eliminate everybody else who's the problem. And so the problem is overwhelming. It's inbuilt and it's intractable. So how does Jesus deal with injustice? He measures it accurately. But can he do anything about it? Mark shows us how he cares and how God deals with injustice in this next account. And if you weren't looking, looking for it, you'd miss it. It looks so insignificant when we read this. And then it captures God's answer in a moment for those who will see. After this uh, teaching amongst the people, Jesus tries to get away from everyone. Verse 25, that, or verse 24 in that sentence, uh, for the last paragraph. And from there he arose and went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And he entered a house and did not want anyone to know, yet he could not be hidden. But immediately a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit heard him and came and fell down, heard of him, and came and fell down at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth. And she begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. And he said to her, Let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Well, talking about offensive, how offensive is that? That whatever he's talking about there, that does not sound like caring. Not at all. Uh, Jesus here is, is off duty. He looks like he's gone on holidays, way up to Tyre on, on the beach side in the Mediterranean. And a Gentile woman from Gentile territory comes to see Jesus. This is not his domain at the moment. This, these people are not his responsibility. His first priority, he reminds her, is to bring salvation to God's people, God's children. The ones who sit at the table. God's children, the nation of Israel. That's his first priority. The nations, they will come later, after Jesus' death and resurrection, through his disciples. But not for now. 
And she might be put off. She won't wait. She knows that Jesus has the power to cleanse the demon from her daughter. Verse 28, she answered him, Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And he said to her, For this statement, you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. And she went home and found the child lying in bed and the demon gone. The story, you, you blink and you miss it. What was happening here? What are the lessons that we learn from this desperate mum, which Mark, the writer, is showing us? She could have been offended at Jesus. She probably should have been offended at Jesus. He calls her a dog. Or at least announced that. She could have been offended at Jesus and said, I'm not going to put up with that and let the word dignity in fact. And we would do the same, wouldn't we? With Jesus' assessment of our hearts. I'm not going to, I'm not going to hear that and switch off and walk away. No, she humbly accepts even the label of dog and works with it because she says, well, even the dogs get crumbs from under their master's table. She'll take that. How audacious of her. More importantly, she knows Jesus and she knows his mission and she knows and accepts her own unworthy state of being lost without him. She knows that God does care for her and her daughter and so cares to ask and presses it with Jesus. Not on the basis of what she deserves, of her rights, of what God must do or what Jesus must do, but on who Jesus is. He's the one who's come to bring God's renewal. Yep, first of all, to God's people. But Jesus, I want that. I want that now. And Jesus grants her request. And he'll grant ours too. As we recognise our need of what he's bringing and his accurate assessment of our hearts and because he's the only one who can fix them. Every attempt to fix our hearts is only effective by our hearts. Every attempt to try and assess our hearts is only infected by the bad measurement of our hearts. God cares about injustices in the world. He sees each one, though we switch off. He measures them accurately, always. And he measures us too. And that's how he cares about injustice. That's how he deals with injustice. By actually, first of all, showing us how we fail and how we fall short. He cares for us by shining the light of truth first of all, on ourselves and showing us where we can find help in Jesus who brings God's renewal. That's what Mark 7 is all about. Unlike the desperate mum, here we don't call out to Jesus for help for our, for our daughter. Um, we call out for ourselves in the way that he can help us. One of Jesus' 
disciples puts it like this in the, in the book of 1 John. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Hear how Jesus works, how God is working in Jesus to shine the light on our hearts and to call us not to fight our hearts, but to confess our sins and to call out for forgiveness. And how does God care about injustice? He'll fix the injustice of our own heart and cleanse us and renew us. Takes humbly admitting that you need help. Takes humbly admitting what you actually truly are like when the light is shining on you. Or do you switch off? Or do you get what God is doing through Jesus? John here reminds us that it's actually through Jesus' blood, the end of Mark's gospel, Jesus is put to death for the sins of the world, to bring cleansing to the world. Such that those judgments that we saw earlier on, where God will judge injustice in the world, is not carried out upon you and me like it's deserved, but it's carried out on Jesus as his blood is shed. And it's the way God cares for injustice in the world. First and foremost, by doing his own hearts. We can then go on to deal with our things, and we should. and change uh, to do. We'd love to let you know how and help you. Uh, there's, that, there's a response to QR code on the back. I think you can point to it every day. But from that response form, there's a few boxes where you can respond. And one of those ones is, uh, can we help? Can we help with questions about the Bible? Uh, that you're thinking about becoming a Christian when you want to read the Bible with someone. Uh, or you want to join a small group. Today's the day to take action on those things, right now, before you walk away and switch off. Don't switch off. This is God's word to us, to you, about your heart, and how things can be different. Want to pray?